want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes about the power of your testimony. The overcoming power of your testimony. Verse 11 says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. When you prayed to receive Christ as your savior, you were born into the family of God. As a matter of fact, there are a number of things that happen simultaneously when you experience the new birth. Number one, you were redeemed from the marketplace of sin. Dr. Jack Hayford writes, he said, redemption refers to salvation's provision which buys back what was lost. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.20 that you were bought with a price. In Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Not only were you redeemed, but secondly, you were reconciled to God. The Lord Jesus restored us to his favor by satisfying the claims of justice against us. Sin brought separation, but the cross provided reconciliation. You see, the Bible says we were estranged from God and separated from God, and there's a great gulf between us and God, but the bridge became the cross. And when I accepted Jesus, the Bible said we were not a people, but now we're the people of God. I was reconciled to my Father. See, the key word in the gospel is relationship. One of the most important words in the gospel is relationship. Jesus didn't die for me to be religious. Jesus didn't die so we could be ritual. Ritualistic and go through a ritual and go through emotion. Jesus died so we could be reconciled to the Father. 2 Corinthians 5, 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Number three, you were justified by God. When we experience salvation, we're justified. The theological term there is justification. To be justified means simply this, it's just as if I never sinned. The Bible said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were born into this world as sinners. But the moment I got born again, I became justified. I experienced justification. What does that mean? My standing with God changes. And when God looks at me, it's just as if I never sinned. Why? Because he wipes the slate clean. Now, if you had a, a past of criminal activity and, and, and you went to jail or you went to, to juvenile detention and they have a record they keep on you, after a little while after you've proven yourself, you can get a pardon and you're pardoned. That means that, that those things won't necessarily come up in a background check always because you've been pardoned by the state. But here's what happens. They don't forget. They just move the file to another filing cabinet. But when God justifies you and pardons you, he don't move it from another one filing cabinet to the, I'm preaching good. He puts it in this holy shredder and shreds it. The Bible says he throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered against us no more. Justified, Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Fourth, we experience regeneration. That means to be generated again. It simply means this, it means to be born again. In John 3, 5, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When we're born again, our nature changes. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. What happens when an individual comes to the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Well, when you come to Jesus, you're born again. Your nature changes. And it produces a testimony. When people see you, they say, you're not the same man or woman that you used to be. You're different. You've changed. Something's different. Something's radically different about you. What happens? It produces a testimony. You're redeemed from slavery. You're placed into the family of God. We call that adoption. Your standing changes, your nature changes, and you're no longer the same as you were before. The Bible says in John 5, 24, that we pass from death to life. In Colossians 1, 13, it says he's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. If you've experienced salvation today, if you've been born again by his spirit, you have a story. You have a testimony. To testify is to tell your story. Everything that God has done for you, no matter how large or how small, is a testimony of his delivering power. We learn in John 17, verse 16, that when we're born again in the world, we are no longer of the world. John 3, 3 refers to that as being born from above. Your testimony is a tool that God provides that will enable you to become an overcomer. In 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, you therefore must endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one entangled in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Did you know that you were made, you were created for spiritual growth and progress? And as a believer, when we come to Jesus, we enlist into the army of the Lord as soldiers of the cross. Before Joshua took Jericho, he first had an unexpected meeting with the commander of the Lord's army. In Joshua chapter 5 and verse 3, when he meets him, the Bible said he had his sword drawn in his hand. As soldiers, you and I are on a war footing. We are to engage our enemy in battle. This battle is not a physical battle to be fought with carnal weapons, but it is a spiritual battle. The last day battle is a battle of the mind. We learn in John 10, 10 that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He will attack your mind to provoke an emotional response. He seeks to attack our identity because your identity will determine your destiny. You will never reach your destiny until you allow God to deal with your identity. How do we engage this enemy in battle? We have to understand our weapon. The Apostle Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians 10. Three through five, they'll put it on the screen. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What are the weapons that are available to the believer? Let me give you a couple of them. First of all, we have the weapon of the name of Jesus. There's no name more powerful than the name of Jesus. We have the weapons of the gifts of the Spirit, especially the gift of discerning the Spirit. We have the weapons of praise. The God of heaven inhabits the praises of his people. And how many of you know praise is not about you feeling better? Praise is not about you at all. Praise is about him. And the Bible says he comes and he enthrones himself in our very praises. When we lift up a corporate praise to God, the God of heaven brings his war chariot. And he comes and he dwells in the midst of our praise. And praise is a powerful tool to do spiritual warfare. Well, pastor, I'll just praise him when I feel like it. You won't never praise him. And I love this when I was growing up. People say, I'm, I'm not going to praise him till I feel something. I don't want to be in the flesh. I thought you're gonna, you was born in the flesh. You're going to die in the flesh. Somewhere in between there, you've got to learn to praise him by faith. I might not feel anything, but the more I praise him in a little while, my feelings will change. We have the weapons of prayer and intercession. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, James 5, 16. We have the weapon of binding and loosing, Matthew 16, 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
We have the weapon of agreement. Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. There's power in agreement. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? You see, the number two in Bible numerology represents separation and division. That's why it's important that we come together in unity. There's that word relationship again in the kingdom. See, the whole kingdom functions on relationships. It functions on our relationship with God. The very gospel, the gospel is not about me just going to heaven. The gospel is about reconciling me in relationship to God. I get to go to heaven, but the gospel is much bigger than that. Come on, somebody. I'm not minimizing heaven. How many of you know heaven's a good thing? That's the reason the enemy loves to separate us. Why? The number two is the number of separation and division. How do we overcome that? We overcome that through the power of agreement. One of the greatest weapons available to the believer in standing in their life and contending for their prophetic destiny over their life and contending for the things of God and the promises that he's made is the power of agreement. I get somebody to come into agreement with me. Let me read that scripture again. If two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. That's a powerful promise. Perhaps one of the greatest weapons, though, that God has given to you to engage the enemy is the power of your testimony. Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Now, there's a good sermon right there. You could take those three thoughts right there and preach a whole sermon, really a series of sermons off of that. But I want to take out that one word testimony and use it for the next few minutes and talk to you. First of all, I want you to know that a a testimony is a factual story of what God has done for you in the past. We overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony. This is a factual telling or a story of what God has done for you. In an article that I read, Diane Lake defines a testimony as a story which defines, shapes, moves, or propels you. It's a story which defines, shapes, moves, or propels you. It's your story. It's the story of your salvation, the story of God's provision in your life, the story of the times when God healed you, when God raised you up, the times God came through you. It's everything that God has done for you, and it becomes unique to you, and it's your story. And I've come by to tell you that you need to tell your story. It will be unique to you. You need to rehearse what God has done to your children and your grandchildren. They need to hear what the Lord has done. But they need to know, they need to hear it, they need to see it. See, it's one thing for a preacher to preach it, but it's another thing for a saint to get up and say, I want to tell you how God came through for me. It becomes real to people. Why? It's the story of what God is doing in their life. Power of testimony. I can remember testimonies from my childhood. Great women and men of God get up and testify the faithfulness of God. People in adversity and difficulty, living in hardship, difficult places, under pressure, under the stress of life, and they get up and say, sweeter gets the journey every day. I think, how, how could that be? Look, I look at their circumstances. How could it be sweeter gets the journey? You see, they weren't looking to their circumstances. They were looking to their relationship, and they were declaring who God was in their life. It was their story, and it was unique to them. And all these years later, I'm standing behind this desk still remembering the faithfulness of God that those saints testified about. Others need to hear how you laid hands on your sick child. And God came through and healed their bodies. I remember I had a man in my church. He, 
He never went much past about the sixth or seventh grade. His dad died when they were young, and his mother had left with all those children. She didn't hardly have any income. She had to send him at about 10 or 11 years old out to the farm to work so he could help support the family. But he told me, he said, you know what? He said, Mama knew how to pray the prayer of faith. He said, we didn't have a lot of money for doctors. We didn't have health insurance in those days. And he says, when one of them would get sick, even after they got married and the grandchildren come along, before they'd go down to the doctor's office, they'd come over by Mama's house. And Mama would take out the oil and anoint them with oil. And the prayer of faith would heal the sick. Many times those children could testify of grandmother's prayers, how grandmother would pray, and healing power would come. I've come by to tell you, that's what we've got to get back to, where we go by grandmother's house before we go to the hospital or the ER because grandmother knows how to get a prayer through. Am I preaching okay? So when you share your testimony, you encourage others and you encourage them to believe. The word testimony comes from a Hebrew word meaning do again. My wife used to sing a song, he'll do it again. He'll do it again and again and again and again and again. Psalms 103 verses 2 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the evils. Throughout the word of God, their testimony of God's faithfulness. In Exodus 17, the children of Israel fought against Amalek. When Moses lifted up his hands, the children of Israel would prevail. But when he let them down, the children of Amalek would gain the mastery in the battle and they would prevail. So Aaron and Hur got on either side of him and they lifted up his arms and Israel was able to prevail in battle. And in verse 14 of Exodus 17, the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. God instructed Moses to write this for a memorial in a book. This was to be remembered even to this day. In Joshua 4, the Lord instructed Joshua to take up 12 stones and place them as a memorial in the place where they lodged. He said, when you cross over the Jordan and I open up the Jordan supernaturally, as you pass by, you pick up one of 12 stones, each tribe. You bring those things out and you come to a place called Gilgal. That was their base camp. And he says, you build a memorial right there. Why? Because one day your children are going to ask you, what are those stones about? And you're going to say that was the time, that flood time when we had to cross over. And we didn't know how we'd cross over. But God came through. Come on, somebody. Opened up and made a way where there was no way. And we came across on dry ground. And we came into our inheritance. God brought us into the land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? He's faithful. And these stones remember God's faithfulness. We need to build some memorials, not to worship the past. That's what we do in the Protestant church. Somebody said in the Catholic church, they worship the saints. In the Protestant church, we worship the furniture in the building. In the past, I'm preaching good. We know more about what God did than what God's going to do. I thank God for what he did. We build on the past. We don't, we don't relegate it to the trash bin because our past and our history is a part of defining us to help shape and us understand who we are so we'll know where we're going. But we don't worship it. But we build a memorial to be a testimony to God's faithfulness. What memorials do you have to tell your story? Why do we rehearse his miracles? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, if God brought the children of Israel through the Jordan River into their promised inheritance, how much more will God do the same for us?
Second thing I want you to notice about your testimony is it is a factual story of what God has done, but it is a declaration of faith of what God is going to do in the future. See, your testimony is more than about yesterday. Your testimony is a declaration of your faith. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must align our speech with the word of the living God. Romans ten seventeen. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How many of you know this Bible that we have is a faith-filled book of hope? A testimony is more than a story of a past breakthrough. It is a present declaration of a future deliverance. I want to say that again. It is a present declaration of a future deliverance. Don't align your confession with what the enemy is saying. Well, you know, the enemy said this to me. Why are you repeating it? Why did what he say have any, any place in your vocabulary? The Bible said he's a father of lies and he speaks out of his own resources. Everything he speaks to you is a lie. We need to quit repeating what the devil has said and start saying what God says. Don't align your confession with that. Proverbs 6, 2, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. We have to watch over our words. Well, you know, my daddy died when he was 41 and I'm 40, so don't get into alignment with that. You know, my daddy was a diabetic. I guess I'll be a diabetic too. Quit getting into alignment with that. No, Jesus is my healer. If God be for me, who can be against me? Now, I don't mean you don't take precautions. I break everything off my bloodline that the enemy's trying to bring up. It's no longer an open door of access in the name of the Lord. I declare in Jesus' name that everything off of your bloodline is broken. And I declare that we're going to align our words with the word of God and not align our words with what the enemy's saying, not come into doubt and unbelief, but we're going to speak faith-filled words of hope and we're going to believe the word and we're going to have what God said we can have and be what God said we can be and do what God said we can do. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews 4, 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Your testimony is a declaration that he who promises is faithful. We rehearse the past victories to encourage us on our walk of faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. We have to bring our confession into alignment with the word of God. Our testimony is a declaration of the word. Don't come into alignment with what the enemy is saying. What does the word say about you? Start praying the word of God into your present circumstances. Make your confession the word of the living God over your problems, over the attacks of the enemies and the issues that assail you. What does the word say about you? Well, let me give you a couple of scriptures. Deuteronomy 28, 13 says that we're the head and not the tail. Exodus 15, 26 says the Lord is our healer. Joshua 1, 8 declares that we are to prosper and have good success. Psalms 103, 3, who forgives all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases. Psalms 147, 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up the wounds. Matthew 4, 23, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom and healed all kinds of sicknesses throughout Galilee. In, in Ephesians 3, 20, now unto him who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. The Bible says in Hebrews 8, 6, we have a better covenant built on better promises. Isaiah 53 verse 1, who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? Matthew 12 37, it says by your words you will be justified and by your words will be condemned. We overcome him by the word of our testimony. 
Well, you're teaching hyper-faith and confession of faith. Well, I'd rather confess faith than to live in doubt and unbelief and discouragement and despair. I'd rather confess the hope of this book than the despair of this world. The third thing I want you to notice is, is a confession is a declaration of our family standing. It's a factual story. It's a faith confession. But my, my testimony is a declaration of my family standing. How many of you ever heard the, the expression, it's who you know? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. I want you to note those words, the blood of the lamb. Why is that important? Why is that in that passage of scripture? Well, we know that the blood of Jesus is the overcoming power that that when we're washed in the blood, when we're cleansed by the blood, we're saved through the washing of the blood. And we understand that that is the power that's available to us is through the shed blood of Calvary. But how many of you know the blood is more than that? I want you to notice something in this passage. My testimony is a declaration of my family standing. I'm not coming against the enemy with an empty religious creed or confession. I'm not just quoting scripture from an ancient book. This book, this Bible, is my covenant. I overcome with a declaration of who I am in Christ. In Revelation 12:10, John the Revelator identifies the enemy as the accuser of the brethren. If you go back from our text to the verse that precedes that, In verse 10, it says that the accuser of the brethren comes to accuse us before God night and day. Then it says in the very next passage, we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Now, I believe there's power in the blood. But I want you to see the standing that you have because of the blood of Jesus. What does God do about the accusations when Satan accuses us? He don't do anything. Listen to me. He's giving you and I the authority to deal with the accusations. He comes to accuse us. So God gives us weapons to overcome those accusations. And one of those weapons is a testimony based on the blood of Jesus. We learn that the blood of Jesus is powerful in Revelation 1, 5, and 6. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our own sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Why is the blood of Jesus important? Well, let me show you in Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. We've been brought near. Actually, we've been adopted into the family of God. Our testimony is that we are the children of the Most High. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Romans 8, 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you did not receive, come on, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. 
So my testimony is, is that I'm a son of the living God, a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God is my father. Jesus is my elder brother. I'm an heir and a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. I have family standing. That's my testimony. What does who do you think you are? Well, I'm a chosen generation. I'm a royal priesthood. I've been called out of darkness. Come on, somebody. What well, is who do you think you are? I'm a child of the king. Listen, there are privileges of being a child of a king. It might look like the enemy's winning. It might look like that sin is trying to. But I've come by to tell you that God is in charge of the affairs of this universe. My father in heaven. We've been brought near by the blood. John 1, 11 and 12. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. You've not been called to fail, to be overwhelmed by the enemy. You've been created to overcome. And you have the weapon of your testimony. See, here's our problem. We keep identifying with the person that we used to be. I think we've watered the gospel down to such a point now that when people get saved, we never see a change in their life. My question is, did they really get saved? Now, I didn't say you won't struggle and that you won't be tempted and you won't have hardships and difficulties. But what I'm saying is old things pass away, all things become new. The Bible says that, that his blood covers us so God sees our standing differently. We're no longer identified as the person we used to be. And the world loves to put labels on you. They define your disease, and they've, they've got a new name and a set of initials for anything you go through. Oh, you have this or, disorder or this problem or that problem, and we categorize that. But listen, God doesn't name us. God doesn't label us. He, he writes down a new name in heaven for us. He changes our nature, and what we do is we keep identifying, and that's what the enemy does. He tries to pull you back down into who you used to be, down into that old identity, and he tells you, you'll never be able to overcome that. You'll never be able to conquer that. I've come by to tell you that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You stand up and attack him with the word of God. You change your confession. Stop confessing your fears. Stop confessing your failures of the past. Stop confessing what the enemy is saying to you. Turn those words around and start declaring God's word over that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you grew up in a home where you were verbally abused you were told you'll never amount to anything you'll never do anything and we taken those words in somebody said sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me that's the biggest lie I've ever been told some of you felt a sense of abandonment and the enemy will come and play into those places of our life and if we're not careful we catch ourselves dwelling on those thoughts that's the reason the Bible says as a man thinks in his heart so is he but we turn those things around so that was my past, but I have a testimony. I was a sinner. I was a mess. My life was in shambles. I was on my way to hell, but Jesus found me. The Spirit of God drew me. The Word of God got down in my spirit, man. I prayed. I said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. I can't do anything to extricate myself from this marketplace of sin. But God says, hey, I've already paid the price. 
I'll come and I'll just extract you from that marketplace and I'll put your feet on solid rock. I'll put you into a new marketplace. It's called my kingdom. I'll take you out of the kingdom of darkness and I'll translate you into the kingdom of my dear son. I'll bring you out of the place that you were and I'll bring you into a place where you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away. All things become new. And now I'm going to make you new and where you've been a failure and where you've had difficulty and where you've had pain and where you've had all kinds of things happen in your past we're going to redeem the past and you're going to have a different future so what I have to do is I have to bring my thinking into alignment with God's thinking I get my mind renewed how do I do that get into this book right here what does this book say about me what does this book say about the problem I'm having what does this book say about what I'm facing this is a weapon powerful it's a sharp two-edged sword you use it against the enemy well, your family will never be saved. That son is so rebellious and so away from God, they'll never give their life to Jesus. They're out there in sin. They're so deep in sin. I've got them and you'll never, the devil will never let turn loose of them and, and, and you'll never see them born again. Well, my Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and not only you, but your household will be saved. When Jesus was faced with temptation, what did he say? He didn't have a philosophical argument with Satan. He didn't say, Satan, I'm the son of God and... This scripture in the Old Testament proves that he said it is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. He didn't have an argument with Satan. He simply pointed him to the word. Stop having an argument with the enemy. Start allowing, stop allowing him to set up a stronghold in your mind. Pull that down in the name of the Lord and begin to confess who you are in Christ and who Christ is on the inside of you and what Christ is going to do for you. Stand with me.